Okay, this week we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, continuing with looking at relationships that we're all involved in. Last week we talked about marriage and the importance there and how uh, loving our wives and showing fellow, you know, honor to them as a fellow heir of the grace of life, uh, them deferring to their husband, not as one as um, who is less than, but it's a, really a, a an equal partnership. So we're looking at relationships regarding parents and children and slaves and masters, which can translate in our society maybe to bosses and employees and so forth. Because the relationships we live in and are a part of um, is a big uh, dynamic in our life that uh, God cares about. He even refers to himself as our father and us as his children, which is a relationship. And so let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever, you, whatever good thing each of one does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether free or slave. And masters, do not uh, do the same to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now, obviously, Paul is addressing people in the culture he lived in, and uh, slaves and masters were a common part of the whole culture. Uh, some were slaves because they'd been conquered, but a lot of them, in fact, I think the majority of them were slaves who basically contracted with the master. Uh, some of them did it out of necessity. They owed a debt they couldn't pay, and so they kind of sold them slaves, as we called it in the early parts of the American history, as an indentured servant. I'll work for you for so many years to pay off my debt. Uh, others uh, chose to be servants uh, for life. They were called bond servants, and it was a choice they made uh, to serve a family, and the family chose to receive them as a servant, and they would do that for life. But there was a lot of relationships that may be foreign to us in our culture, but they can translate into things like, uh, you know, if you have employees or if you work for someone, um, about not just doing it outwardly, for eye service, uh, but really from the heart, actually serving one another, and how those who are over others, you know, should do so uh, kindly and gently and respectfully, uh, because they also have a master in heaven, uh, God who shows no partiality, whether you're rich or poor um, or whatever. He just doesn't show partiality. All right, so relationships in general. Um, Treating others well is the result of our relationship with the Father. 
not the cause of our relationship with our Father. Otherwise, by treating others well, we're not gaining God's approval and he likes us and so he brings us into his inner circle. It's the exact opposite of that. Through Christ, uh, he's already proven he loved us and he sent Christ to die for us and through new birth, he brings us into his family first and then teaches us in the relationship with him who loves other people purely and perfectly. How to love other people purely and perfectly. You know, in John 419, 1 John 4.19, it says we love because he first loved us. He starts the whole thing. He's the one that gets the ball rolling. He's the one that um, doesn't need us to do something for him to respond in love. He loves first. Uh, the Bible says when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that's how God proved his love for us, it says in Romans 5.8. So living these ideas out about how we treat our husbands and wives, how we raise our children, how we respond to those who are over us or those who are under us, and how we um, purport ourselves in those situations. Uh, lifting others up and showing them the value they have, giving them mutual respect and value as human beings that Christ died for. Uh, the same amount of blood was spilled for each of us. He didn't have to pay less for some because they weren't worth much. He didn't have to pay more for others because their sin was worse than somebody else's. He paid the same amount of price for each one of us uh, to bring us into his family. All right, so when I live out these things that God is showing me primarily by how he responds to me, he loves first, he's patient first, he's kind, and all those things that he describes himself as uh, in the Bible. In, back in Ezekiel, or excuse me, um, Exodus chapter 34, he describes his character to Moses, and he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, abounding in loving kindness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, keeping loving kindness for thousands. So he describes himself as loving and kind and forgiving. Okay, so you do realize that loving people and being kind to them and forgiving them when they offend you or hurt you or, or uh, take advantage of you in any way, that's a godly thing. Uh, he set the example on that. So when we, as the scripture would say, as Christ who lives in us, in Galatians 2.20, when we let Christ who lives in us live through us. You know, Paul put it this way, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. All right, so Christ is in me. He's loving this person. He's being kind to this person. He's being honest with this person. And he wants to use my voice and my hands and my body language and actions and facial expressions in order to communicate with that person. But not apart from me, but in partnership with me where I respond in faith and let his will be my will in that moment. That's what I call conformity to Christ in real time. It's not just a static achievement I reach someday where now I'm just like Jesus and I'm like a statue in the corner. No, it's, it's me living life as Christ lives in me, people are seeing and hearing his life through me. Now, if you look at the first part of this book, chapter, chapters one through uh, three, especially, and first part of four, 
he addresses a lot about who we are in Christ, that we're accepted in the beloved, uh, that we're raised up with him. Uh, there's all kinds of things about in Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we were in those chapters. And uh, that's the basis of what he's instructing us to do in relationships. See, a lot of times on planet Earth, we wind up trying to prove our identity through relationships. Like, I need those people to like me. I want them to respect me. Um, if I do something for them, they should do something back for me to prove to me I'm valuable, whatever. Okay, that's looking to others who actually don't know who I am. They don't have the ability to give me worth and value. No one does except my creator. And that gets the whole thing backwards. And um, I love the statement I heard years ago by a man named Dr. Bill Gillum. Um, he, uh, he was from Poto, Oklahoma, but he did have a PhD and he was a smart man. But he described relationships where we're trying to get our needs met from other human beings as two ticks and no dog. <laughs> Because people don't actually have life to give us. They can give us a sample of life because they're getting it from Christ. But if I really want life, I have to go to Christ to get that. And relationships get really confusing when I see others as my source of life, my source of value, my source of meaning and purpose. Uh, I'm actually, that'd be like one branch of a tree trying to get life from another branch of the tree rather than from the root system of the tree. And see, we're rooted and grounded in Christ, the Bible says. And uh, he is where we get our worth and identity, our power and strength and wisdom, all the things we need to live. And uh, we get our accolades from him. Um, the Bible says that uh, he will reveal what's glorious about us when we get to heaven to be with him and not to try to look to men and women around us, even our own children, our bosses, and so forth, to prove our worth and value. You know, Romans, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, 1 says, uh, 1 and 2 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Okay, so I'm, because my father loves me, I'm going with him, I'm learning how to do what he does with him not apart from him, not off by myself, but with him. And he goes on and says, uh, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God and a fragrant aroma. Okay, that's in the middle of all this discussion about relationships. How does God relate to people that he's in relationship with? Well, he's loving and kind and he's honest and all those things that he is. He's true to his character. And being born again, we've been given the nature of God and he's developing his character in us so that he and I together, by his Holy Spirit living in me, can live out this new nature that we've been given and develop that godly character, that maturity that he's bringing us towards. And so uh, the maturity that's also addressed in, in Ephesians, primarily in chapter 3 and 4. Um, talks about how we've been given pastors and teachers and elders, different ones, to help us grow up. Because someone else helped them grow up. 
you know, into uh, the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Ephesians uh, 4, 17 through 6, 9 is about the relationships that we learn to express this nature and this character in and through. But it's also, we have to remember, it's in light of the first three and a half chapters which talk about who you are in Christ. And that's a, that's a kind of a, uh, a format you'll find in all of Paul's writings where he spends the first part of the book establishing what's true about us because of the work of Christ. And then he transitioned into, now that that's true about you, let's learn how to live that out as a reality in the world you live in, in the relationships and responsibilities and everything that you find yourself involved in in life. And so growing to maturity then is the end goal, but it's not possible without the first part, which is being made new and established in him and a new creature in Christ. Uh, so relationships are a great way to, I guess, it's almost like a, a thermometer. It's not a thermostat which changes the temperature. The, the thermometer just tells you what temperature is. Well, our relationships kind of tell we are in our, in our growth, how far along we are in our maturity. Um, you know, fairly often I find myself <laughs> reverting to an immature way of thinking and feeling and acting. Uh, yeah, say it isn't so, but yeah, the chaplain does that. And usually it's because I've set my mind on something about the former life or the old way I thought about myself or somebody's opinion about me who really doesn't have the right to tell me who I am. They may be and probably are very wrong. Maybe they're just trying to use me for their own benefit or whatever, trying to build themselves up by tearing me down or something like that. And so we tend to slip into an immature way of thinking and feeling and choosing to live because of an old idea that's come online again and an old belief system or an old world dynamic uh, in the relationships we've had that seems true all over again when we found out maybe years ago that it wasn't true, that I'm not valuable just because people say I am and I'm not worthless just because people say I am. My value is based on Christ's assessment of me. And he paid an awfully high price for those of us who, um, well, for all of us. And those of us who receive that price, um, that value becomes our reality. And we become a new creature in Christ and we can learn how to grow up and live that out, not apart from him, but connected to him. You know, I like the 15th chapter of John where it talks about Jesus said, I am the vine and you're the branches. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, you can, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I see people that aren't Christians doing stuff all the time, you know, building houses and whatever, you know, running businesses and going on vacations and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is you can't do anything you were actually created for apart from him. We are created to bear the image of God. And that's not uh, possible for any of us to do apart from him. I can't go off by myself and learn how to express the nature of God. I can only express it by being connected to him. 
And so apart from him, we can do nothing. And nothing I like about the John 15 passage where he talks about the vine and the branches, the branches bear fruit. And, you know, say it's a grapevine and there's grapes hanging there. Well, you don't see one branch getting grapes from another branch, right? They bear grapes because they receive nutrients from the vine and the nutrients from the vine go into the branch and grapes happen. So what are the grapes for? Well, I think it's for people in our life, the fruit that we bear is for people who are not connected to the vine so they can get a free sample of it. But what they really need to do is be grafted into the vine so they can be, receive life from the inside. And that's what happens when Christ comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. He puts life in us. And as life in us flows through us, fruit happens. And so when we look at things like how we treat other people or the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's the result of his life in us being delivered to us and being witnessed through us. It just comes out. Not something we produce through hard work. It's something we, we produce through receiving. You know, he says you're to abide in the vine. And the word abide means to remain or stay or live. Uh, when I lived in eastern North Carolina, when they would ask you where you live, they'd say, where do you stay? I, I always liked that because it reminds me of this John 15 vine and the branch passage where, you know, he says, stay on the vine. Well, you know, it's interesting if you graft a branch onto a vine or a tree or something, the branch does not hold on to the vine. The vine actually grows around and grasps the branch and holds on to it. And I love that because Jesus said, you're in my hand, I'm in the Father's hand, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. So once we're grafted into the vine, it's not up to us to hold on to him, it's him holding on to us. And that's great. He holds on to us, he gives us his life, he produces life in us and fruit through us. That's conformity to Christ in real time. And so all these relationships that he talks about in Ephesians, which we find hard at times, I know I have, we don't fix that through just, you know, suck it up and try harder. Um, it's focusing on him more. You know, last uh, couple weeks ago, I talked about um, our target attraction, how if we focus on difficulties, if we focus on that person that's hard to get along with and the aggravation and pain they're causing me, then it usually goes sour and the dynamic gets worse. But if I focus on him and his love and kindness and, and trustworthiness and faithfulness to me, that becomes my life and that's what comes out of me. And what this person over here gets not is me throwing it back in their face, the honoriness they're, they're throwing at me, but instead of turning evil for evil, I'm turning, I'm turning them something good. I'm, I'm giving them something good. Uh, you know, it says don't return evil for evil, but render a blessing instead. So they may be cursing me, but I'm blessing them. Now that might make them mad, and it did when Jesus and the apostles did that. And so it may not change their behavior, but it gives me peace, and Christ is living through me in the moment. And uh, I'm actually fulfilling, through my connection to him and his life in me, the reason I'm even on planet Earth, which is to be like him. Now that's, that's actually simple. Get to know him, trust him, so that in the moment, 
it's his life that's coming out of me and not something else. Conformity to Christ in real time. Well, we're going to finish up next week in the book of Ephesians by talking about the full armor of God and what that means and you know, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and all those things that uh, he uses metaphorically to describe benefits that we've received in Christ and how we take advantage of those. So I look forward to doing that with you next week. Uh, again, getting to know him, we trust him. The more we trust him, the more we are willing to let his life be our life and bear fruit through us, which is the very reason we exist. That's the very thing he started out with in Genesis 1.26. All right, I love you all, and I'll pray for you right now, and then I'll see you next week. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have completed all that needs to be done as far as connecting us with you, and all we have to do is receive it. Father, I thank you that you don't leave it at that, but you continue as a loving Father to nurture and care for us and instruct us and show us the... Uh, the negative path we may be tempted to choose and how to take the positive path, the one that's the way of life rather than the one that's the way of death. And so, Father, I, I look to you to guide me. I trust that you will guide the ones who are hearing this and help them learn how to look to you each day and um, let your life be lived through them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.